0: Hey everyone, this is Ann Doherty, your host of Current and Energy Podcast with Illum Advising, and today I have the privilege of connecting with two of my colleagues, Lisa O'Bear and Pace Goodman, both directors at Illum Advising. In their role as directors, they oversee a number of projects within Illum, from formative research to evaluation. And today, we're talking about evaluation, and in particular, innovation in evaluation. Um, It's a bit of a tongue twister, but I'm excited to connect with them, to just focus on, you know, the state of evaluation right now, where we're headed, and what we think is the most important thing to consider as evaluators moving forward in this sort of strange and quickly changing world that we're living in now. So with that, let's jump right in. We have a lot to cover, and I'm excited to talk to these two, and I'm even more excited for you to hear from them.
1: Welcome, Lisa and Pace. I'm really excited to have you today. Nice to be here.
2: Yeah, nice to be here. Thanks for uh, for talking with us.
1: Oh my gosh, it's my favorite thing. I feel like podcasts are my opportunity and excuse to have conversations about things and geek out with my team in ways that we wouldn't otherwise make time for. So I'm very excited about it. I well, I know you guys make time for it all the time. It's like your day in and day out. But I often don't have the luxury of um, dipping into your uh, projects. So this is my opportunity. I'm super excited about it. So with that, for the folks who are listening, I would love um, for you to share in your own words a little bit about yourselves, um, your areas of expertise, the things that you do um, at Alum, and what what's exciting you these days. So that's a, three-part question and I'm gonna start with Lisa.
3: Okay, well, I'm Lisa LeBeau Aubert. I'm a managing director here at Alum. I've been with loom for almost five years actually, exactly. I think in a couple of weeks it's my Woo-hoo! five-year anniversary which just feels really, really wild. It's gone by really fast. Um, I've been in the industry for almost 14 years now and I'm a social scientist and evaluator. Much of the work I've done to date has been in impact and process evaluations for programs in the energy space. Um, what excites me lately? Um, a <laughs> exciting and a little scary, I guess, a scary kind of exciting has been um, just all the changes that have happened in the last couple of years, which um, there's been a lot of them in our industry and in the world. And It's resulted in, I think, a lot of um, uncertainty. And so uh, I'm excited to help address the challenges of the future, even if I don't know what they're going to be yet. That's an amazing and very daunting answer. I love it. I'm scared, too. I I mentioned being scared. (laughs) So I'm excited and scared. I
1: feel like you've summarized everyone's feelings entering (laughs) 2020. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. But
2: Pace, um, how about you? Yeah, so my name is Pace Goodman. I've been working in energy efficiency for over 10 years um, and came into the industry through an education in engineering, mathematics, and environmental science. So a lot of my work uh, kind of combines those three areas, whether it's billing analysis, statistics, uh, energy simulation modeling, um, a lot of those different pieces. So, so a lot of impact evaluation, but also emerging tech, and have also helped with process evaluations and things along those lines. What's exciting for me is kind of the same thing that brought me into the industry, and is very similar to what Lisa said. Um, I really want to be a part of the clean energy transition, and I want my work to both help mitigate the human hardship from climate change, as well as the transition itself. Not all the pieces of the transition are going to be Beneficial to everyone. Um, so, doing what we can to be thoughtful about what we change and how we approach those changes to, to really try to find kind of a, a win-win as much as we can across the board as, as we do a really, a really big fundamental shift in the way that we're we're going to use energy.
1: I love that. It um, really speaks to the fundamental challenge of intentionality right now. It seems like to your point, Lisa, all of the changes in the sort of tumult of from twenty twenty onward. Kind of forced us to think differently about how we do our work, even in our tiny corner of the energy industry. And to, face to your point, um, thinking about how we can do it better and more thoughtfully is—it's really sort of a big challenge ahead of us. And it speaks actually to a lot of the um, material that we are discussing in our magazine this year as well. So, kind of along those lines, you know, we're mentioning our energy industry, our our little niche of it is innovating quickly, but I would say all of it is innovating really quickly from the technologies that are being deployed to how we are delivering those technologies and solutions to customers um, to expanding or trying to expand who benefits from those technologies and helping them to some extent define what those benefits are. So, Lisa, you know, thinking about that, not to set it up like too, too, too for you, it's so large. um What do you see as the biggest change that our industry is facing right now?
3: Well, a lot of changes. I guess the two big elephants in the room that are top of mind for me and that I'm talking to a lot of colleagues and clients about is, um, I guess, number one, the looming 45 lumen per watt ISA backstop that's going to be put into place sometime in the next couple of years. That will really change, I think, the landscape of energy efficiency programs, especially on the residential side. And then the COVID-19 pandemic, um, which we are still grappling with. I don't know that we all thought we would still be grappling with this two years in, but we are. And there's sort of these ripple effects that I think a lot of our clients are still dealing with. Um, and these both of these things have thrown us into a lot of uncertainty, a world that feels really unpredictable after a long time that I, I feel like we all felt pretty stable in our work and maybe even our lives. Um, So I have a a number of clients right now that I think are really struggling with, for example, the effect of COVID on their CNI customer base. Um, Six months ago, the struggles that that customer group was having is actually really different than what they're having right now. So utility companies who offer these programs are trying to figure out how to get the attention of small businesses that are way more focused on supply chain disruption and, and hiring and employee illness especially with this last big wave Omicron wave so um, that's been a really huge challenge I think in our industry is figuring out how do we help clients and how do how do utility companies actually predict what's going to happen in the next year let alone three months and how can they be sort of dynamic and flexible to address? those challenges
1: as they come up. It's such an interesting point, because you're sort of asking folks to plan for uncertainty, which is a way that we typically aren't accustomed to planning, right? So how, how does one plan for any number of uncertainties in the market? Uh, many of which, like you described, Lisa, we didn't expect, or maybe we thought we had sort of lived through. And then, you know, here comes another surge and supply chain disruptions right. and everything
3: yeah us six months ago we were like, it's over. Yeah. And then <laughs> and then we here we are in winter of 2021 2022 still trying to sort of navigate these things and they're changing. It's not the same
2: mm-hmm.
3: challenges. so yeah, I mean that's the whole point of resiliency though, right is that's mm-hmm. like the definition. is weathering a storm maybe figuratively or maybe literally so. But that's hard when you, the resiliency you've had to have in the past is very different from what you have to have right now.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it, I think often when we think about resiliency, we assume that there's some end point or a place where it lets up, where the <laughs> right? skills that are being called on um, are no longer necessary, right? That there's at least some respite in it. And um, I think this pandemic is challenging us to think differently about that. It's almost about sure. resiliency and endurance. The yeah. Um, Pace, how about you? What's on your mind in terms of the changes that are facing our industry right now?
2: Yeah, that, I mean, it's a great question. One thing I want to just mention off of what Lisa said is, you know, with all this uncertainty with COVID, I think one thing we've heard is... Um, in a sense, that instability drives home some of the stuff that we really think is most important in our lives. And that gives us that sense of security, which part of that is, is having access to energy services and having safe access to outdoor spaces and public places and markets, et cetera. Um, and so I think part of that's, again, then redriving this initiative towards how we're going to handle climate change, the energy transition, making sure we have reliable energy in the face of climate change and whatnot. One memory I have from this past year, last summer, we had wildfires in the Northwest, not as bad as the previous year, but consistently for weeks on end. And that feeling of, 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 of really isolation um, with smoke and, and, and everything else. Um, and and I, I felt like it was kind of a turning point where we lived with all the heat waves and everything where climate change is no longer a theoretical concept, but it's something we're experiencing and that we're going to just have to manage as time goes on. And, and I guess along those lines, something I've been really optimistic about is that I'm starting to see energy efficiency funding going towards decarbonization measures um, and 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 not really seeing a pushback. I mean, if there is a pushback, the pushback is how do we do that most reasonably, most cost effectively, as beneficial to the customer, um, not ignoring some of our legacy infrastructure that we have, et cetera, et cetera. So seeing that energy efficiency funding going to decarbonization has been been a, been a big change and an exciting change um, and then I guess on the similar lines is the energy reliability I feel like when I first heard folks talking about reliability it sounded like such an old term but it's it's really applicable to what we're handling with climate change and everything else so I guess th- those are two of the biggest changes that I, I, I feel like we're just going to continue to kind of transition through and improve and make mistakes but then fix those mistakes kind of in these next few years.
1: So, Pace, kind of um, expanding on that, and stick with you here for a moment. What do you see these impacts having on evaluation or the practice of evaluation specifically?
2: Yeah, that that's a great question. The one that pops immediately to mind is measuring uh, carbon impacts. We've been metering energy usage and. We have certified protocols for measuring the efficiency of certain appliances. We have Energy Star for certain appliances, all based around energy use. So we have this nice clean box around how much energy are these things using, and we have a nice clean way to, to to compare them. The carbon impacts are a lot trickier. We don't really have a great way to measure it. There's a lot of different pieces that play into carbon impacts. It's a lot harder to estimate. So I think we're gonna see a lot of evaluation, especially for any of these. Um, beneficial electrification programs or anything along these lines, we're gonna see a lot of standardizing methods around how to estimate those carbon impacts. And like all things, they're gonna probably start off a little too simple and some things aren't gonna be as beneficial as we thought they were. And we're we're just gonna kind of improve it over time. But carbon impacts is a big one. Another one that we're uh, kind of similar to what Lisa was saying about small businesses is evaluating customer financial impacts. I think we tend to think of things on an average basis And when you're thinking about energy savings from one air conditioner to another, that probably you can safely assume is going to be beneficial to that participant. But when you're starting to switch fuels that have different costs associated with them, you very likely could be having negative impacts on those customers' financial situations. So rather than thinking that this program, on average, benefited customers financially, we need to start thinking about what percentage of customers benefited financially from this. Because some are going to have negative impacts. We almost know that for sure that some mm-hmm. folks who get beneficial electrification rebates are probably going to have negative financial impacts, at least some of them, because they're going to get the appliance with the, you know, in the unexpected application or something so that the carbon impacts, the financial impacts, and the last one is is quantifying the benefits of reliability um, and, I, and I won't kind of blabber on too far here, but I, th- that, that's just the last one I do think is worth noting. Um, we don't have a great way to include reliability into our cost effectiveness tests right now. So um, hope, hoping to see some improvement there.
1: Okay, so you've covered so much and it's really um, like inspiring to sort of think about how we can think about it um, in terms of solving for these multiple bottom lines, really, because we were talking about is balancing impacts against these very ambitious, really sort of large goals and objectives that we have as a society. Lisa, what uh, would you add to what Pace said about how it's changing the way we think about evaluation? How are these, how is this moment calling on us to think differently about evaluation?
3: Yeah, I mean, going back to, <clears throat> I think what I mentioned earlier um, about changing just how broadly evaluators are consulting with their clients, um, Again, moving away from really sort of a narrow view, I think the like norm before was expecting the status quo would continue and changing our viewpoints of like, how do we help our our clients come up with like a plan B, C, maybe D for if something changes, um, how are they gonna keep continuing to serve their customers? And like, what problem are these programs measures offerings actually solving for a customer and helping them make those connections because as these low-hanging fruits kind of go away I hate I hate that phrase actually because we use it all the time but there I go using it again but um you know there's no other light bulb coming to energy efficiency um, when we think about just like the the EE programs that exist right now So when we think about those, like what are those programs going to do as those low hanging fruits go away? What are we going to do in terms of adding more measures or offerings or innovating in that space? And to do that, I think we have to start at the, what what problem are we solving for a customer? What's the value proposition for them? Um, Going back to something Pace said um, about moving away from really looking at oh, on average, this worked out for this customer base. Um, You know, a a thing we talk about a lot at Illum is equity and who gets left behind. And so I think the evaluation space has transitioned to looking at this a lot more closely. Um, Yes, on average, you know, participants saved X amount. Who wasn't included in that group? Who got left behind? and maybe who didn't have the same experience even within participants um, as other participants, how how does that look from an equity lens? So drilling down more, being more granular in how we evaluate programs, because um, we know that the experience is not the same for everyone and the access is not the same for everyone.
1: You know, both of you touched on issues that um, I think almost demand thinking about what we're doing in this sort of hyper localized sense, meaning, you know, when you think about reliability, it's that the challenge is, yes, at the grid level, but the disruption often occurs in this very sort of localized situation, depending on how you're impacted by climate. And pace, when you think about carbon, impacts or carbon mitigation. I think mean, a lot of that has to do with supply and when we're using energy in many ways, and and what is fueling all of that usage. And then, Lisa, when you think about equity, you know, you can be impacting one customer, and the customer next door could have a completely different impact depending on their situation, their circumstances. Um, do you think that evaluation has the like the ability or the capacity to? Um, Move to these more nuanced understandings of, um, of our impacts, either on communities or on regions, in a way that maybe we haven't explored before? So I'll let either of you to jump in and answer the question.
3: Um, I'll just say I think yes, but we are always going to be limited by the definition of program success and what we're measuring against. And as long as we sort of have more narrow definitions of program success, and I mean, this is a challenge for many programs when trying to serve you know low income customers or reach different types of customers that are more expensive to reach we have cost effectiveness requirements and savings requirements and a lot of the problems that exist are way thornier and more difficult to solve and require like coordination across maybe multiple groups in a utility, maybe outside of a utility, maybe it involves multiple industries. And um, so that's like a huge challenge that we can't really like individual choice our way out of. Um, So I think, you know, it'll always be challenging for evaluation to try to shift maybe that goalpost while the box around the program sort of still remains small.
2: That's a great point. What do you think? Yeah, and I don't have, I have too much to add. I think everything Lisa said makes a lot of sense. The only piece I would I would add on to there is a lot of these programs are doing their best to reduce their administrative costs. You know, they want to be good stewards of these ratepayer dollars. And so to some extent, with limited funding, you naturally point to what are your biggest pockets of opportunity. And so those types of behaviors tend to move us towards maybe less equity and, and having a uh, somewhat bland approach that meets 70% of customers and then the 30% we leave behind. So I think as technology enables us to set up programs and administer programs more cost effectively, whether it's you know smart thermostat DR kind of opened up a new um, a new branch of, of administrating programs, if there's something along those lines that can help us uh, provide a more tailored experience to customers from different backgrounds, that'll, that'll be really helpful. But it's, it, again, part of that challenge is just managing the administrative costs with, with, again, the goalposts as Lisa described.
1: No, it's such a good point because we can only move what we're being, we can only measure what we're being asked to measure in many cases. As, um, as you both pointed out, So Lisa, kind of picking up on um, a thread that Pace started with, you know, you read a a number of process evaluations for Loom, and much of process evaluation looks at what we do and how we do it as it relates to programs and uh, program participation, for example. Um, What do you see as evaluation's primary role in those areas as we see our industry innovating and evolving in this moment?
3: I think what... I said earlier about um, what problem is this th- thing, this this measure, this offering, what is it solving for a customer is a, a, a question we've maybe had to ask less in the past, but we're going to have to continue to ask a lot more. As things get more complex, the offerings get more complicated, they get less easy for a customer to understand. Um, because it just gets harder and harder to communicate it. You know, a light bulb is easy for someone to understand, um, but more complex measures um, and more, you know, behavior-based measures and things like that, that gets harder for people to understand and harder for us to talk about. Um, So I think moving forward with that lens of um, requiring that that requires that evaluators are, I think, engaged earlier in the process. Again, like with pilot evaluations, which I know we do a ton of pilot evaluations, it can feel very different than, um, I guess the sort of what I call standard evaluation of something that's really well-established, but um, using that as like the strategic moment to serve in the strategic consulting space for a client, helping them think through some of these things before this this widget or this service or this offering has even gone to market. So, yeah, I think from a customer experience or customer process perspective, figuring out that question, what problem am I solving for this customer is sort of that first snowball question to help you think through all the other things that that customer is going to experience down the line.
1: That's such an awesome um, sort of flip of the way that I think our industry tends to think about it, because we think what energy problem are we solving through the customer versus what problem are we solving for the customer in many ways, you know? And so um, it's a, a, it's a, just a completely different orientation to planning and thinking about what you're trying to achieve. And Pace, um, Lisa touched on some of these, like, early formative stages of um, design and innovation in energy. And you do a lot of work on emerging tech. Uh, what do you see as the primary role of evaluation in setting up or standing up these new opportunities that um, may become say, the new measures or solutions for markets?
2: Yeah, thanks. Um, I think evaluation is a, has a pretty big role for what we can help with, um, especially on that emerging tech side. Traditionally, we evaluate programs to see if they're achieving their intended consequence, you know, savings, participation, cost effectiveness. It's kind of the traditional view, the traditional lens. But what I think is exciting and interesting to see is more often evaluators are being asked questions about unintended consequences. Are we distributing the benefits of energy efficiency well? Are we building any barriers to access to these programs? Are we changing stocking stocking practices in a way that decreases customers' options, access, energy services, et cetera? So we're asking a lot more questions about the unintended consequences of our actions and our programs, which I think is really important to have in mind um, as evaluators. And then I think one of probably the biggest places we have room to, to have an impact is also in supporting uh, pilots or um, any sort of R&D that energy efficiency programs are operating. Um, you know, Traditionally, you would think of um, the emerging tech at a utility or an energy efficiency program piloting new measures. And um, you know, if the technology is already market ready, you just wanna understand, uh, does it perform as well in the field as it does based on its specs? Um, is the main barrier really upfront costs? So all we need to do is give an incentive and this will kind of make its way through the market. Um, that's kind of that traditional lens, and I think more often, um, as evaluators, we can do things to help them kind of overcome different barriers. Some of these technologies, the main barrier is not upfront cost. It might be customers' awareness of certain technologies or contractors' awareness or training in certain technologies. Um, again, stocking practices can really be a barrier, um, customer awareness and demand. We're seeing health and safety issues brought up a lot. How much is it gonna cost to give access to certain customers for certain technologies? Um, Electric panels are often talked about for beneficial electrification. How expensive is it gonna be to upgrade panels so that we can enable electrification for these customers? Um, and then again, as we've been kind of talking about, really just estimating that that customer cost effectiveness. So so I think on uh, terms of that pilot side, we're considering a lot more things to be technology. The delivery mechanism can be technology. The marketing approach can be technology. The customer segment we're trying to reach can kind of in a sense be a new technology. And I think that's really an exciting way to approach it. And, and like Lisa said earlier, we're not really seeing new light bulbs come out that are going to transform things. So that idea that we're going to have maybe a variety or a portfolio of new approaches to to increase energy efficiency and to move the market is really the way to think about it, and not just wait for that new widget to come along that's going to save the whole whole portfolio. Because at least at least so far, it doesn't seem like anything like that is coming. At least not yet.
1: Yeah, and that's an um, important frame to really remind us to like broaden our point of view as we're thinking about what is possible. Because, like you said, and Lisa pointed out, there's our, our options are limited if we're thinking in a strictly tech frame, you know, and I think years and years ago, years and years feels like a long time ago, behavioral programs kind of came in and started to try to do that a bit, but we're not seeing as much momentum around other types of market interventions, I think, or at least none that have picked up as quickly and has, has been adopted as rapidly as those. So it's like, where's, where's the next innovation coming from? Um, Lisa, you know, we are often, we often spend a lot of time talking about what's exciting, about what's changing, and what's new, but we sometimes fail to think about what's effective about what we're currently doing or what we might want to keep around um, with respect to our work. And so when you think about um, evaluation, are there things that are sort of more or less like tried and true that we should, you know, keep investing in or keep doing as a practice?
3: What, great question. Um, I mean, I think the whole idea of evaluation is uh, the idea itself is sort of agnostic to the program that's being launched, right? Like you can evaluate anything and some things may be harder to evaluate, but the, the theory of doing an evaluation is still, I think, going to be viable no matter where things land, no matter how uncertain things are, no matter what we end up doing, um, we're always going to want to, well, I shouldn't say always, but um, I think at least in the short to midterm, we're going to want to figure out how to tell that these programs are working in terms of the impacts we're trying to have and also in terms of genuinely working for the customer. How is the customer experiencing it? Because as long as utilities are offering programs, these are their customers and they want to make sure that these programs are Are working for them. You know, in terms of things that I think will continue, not that I want this to continue, but I think it's something that we need to continue thinking about and something that's risen a lot more in our discussions the past few years is that equity lens. Um, This came up for me. I know we had some slack conversations about that New York Times article that came out um, Mm -hmm. about the fact that uh, dollar stores still have primarily incandescent bulbs in them. Um, and that access to energy efficient light bulbs is not equal. And, you know, there's so much discussion about how this market has transformed and it, and it largely has in many retailers and for many people in the United States, but it, it is just sad that there are still people and communities and, um, you know, folks left behind in that transition. And so you start to think about um, you know, that, that, that problem, the problem of incandescent still being in dollar stores is going to go away at some point in the next couple of years because the, you know, backstop's going to get put in place, but, you know, you wonder what happens to people who have been purchasing those light bulbs and the cost change that they're going to have to grapple with. Like there's real life implications for these things. So thinking, continue to think about as we're working in other spaces outside of lighting that are continuing to transform, are there ways that we can be more equitably bringing everyone along on those transitions. Um, But that problem is really big and really hard. And to some of the points that PACE made, you know, the way things are structured now, um, you might have to focus on the 70%, not the 30%. So um, I think these problems are bigger than just something that the utility alone can deal with. And it's gonna require um, like higher level, coordination to deal with some of these issues of, of equity and in, in the energy efficiency and climate change space.
0: Absolutely.
1: And Case, you know, kind of expanding on um, what Lisa was saying or the question that I had to Lisa, are there certain things that we do now um, in our evaluation practice or practices, um, specific tools, techniques, approaches, methods that you think are valuable and that will continue to sort of prove their root worth over time?
2: It's a great question. I, I personally, being, a, being somewhat of a math person, I, I love the regression models on energy use and energy use analytics to identify which customers are saving energy, um, what are some of those energy use profiles, and how does that uh, impact with how you want to talk to that customer, what kind of appliances they might have. Um, I think all of those tools, tools are really valuable. They all have limitations too. I do feel like we sometimes mess, talk about the analytics as if it's uh, bulletproof and this, you know, unique, perfectly accurate system and, and, and it's not, it has, it has its own limitations, but I think we'll continue to see a lot of that and it's really nice to see some of our modeling and, and imagination of what these appliances might do out in the field um, really what impact they're having to the customers that that they're reaching so so I, th- I think we'll still have a lot of that and i think that kind of ground truth is is really helpful and to be perfectly honest i don't feel like there's any tools that are necessarily holding us back from our goals i think there's a lot of improvements we can make on the methods um, especially around you know like i said carbon impacts customer financial impacts um, quantifying the the benefits of reliability i think all, all those things i think we'll see a lot of improvement on over time but i don't think, where uh, without the tools from them right now, maybe reliability b- would be the biggest one where a lot of you a lot of the benefits of reliability in a place like MISO or PJM, where you have more available data on wholesale energy prices, there's more you can kind of triage to provide some indication of the value of, of reliability and capacity, whereas in more of a vertically integrated utilities, it's, it's really opaque. So if you're a vendor coming up with the technology, um, you don't know if you're gonna really have something that's viable in certain regions. So, so maybe that's probably one of the biggest places where we might see, or maybe there's a limitation in the tool that is holding us back. But otherwise I'd say it's less so the tools and, and more about setting the goalposts. And, um, and I, I think you know, we're seeing change and we're gonna continue So think. Th- things are getting better, progress is being made and i think like you both said it's it's changing faster now than, than it has been so
1: well okay so i feel like that's an excellent response to end on you know the evaluation is only as sort of good as an, and effective as its goal are in terms of meeting these challenges in the future um i'm really excited to just have had the opportunity to connect with you both like i said i don't really get to jump into your worlds as much and geek out on topics with you so it's really a treat for me to have a chance to talk to you and I'm sure that folks listening gained a lot as well. Um, so thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate you. And
0: um, yeah, hopefully we'll be back on together soon.
2: Thanks,
3: Anne.
2: Yeah, thanks, Anne. Thanks all.
0: Thank you again, Lisa and Pace for your time today. I've really enjoyed connecting with you both. And for those of you listening, I hope you enjoyed this piece. We'll be featuring some of this conversation in the Looms Magazine. So keep an eye out for that. And uh, you know, in the interim, I look forward to talking to you next time. Current is produced by Illume's production team. Music is by Blue Dot Sessions. Be well, folks.